People in the movie industry, they really love to uh, create a movie of hope. Um, so many times we see the main plot line of, of a movie be a dark situation in which something will happen in that movie that will bring uh, light or hope or success uh, out of a failing time, out of a dark time. And one particular movie that um, really came to my mind as I was thinking about that was the movie Pursuit of Happiness. It stars uh, Will Smith, and he is portraying um, Chris Gardner. And this is a true story. If you've, ever, if you've never seen the movie, uh, I would recommend it. It's, it's very good. Uh, but Chris Gardner was a, uh, a seeking to make a buck, and he bought into a business in which it was a flop. They were selling these x-ray machines, this medical equipment, to hospitals. It was a new thing, and uh, hospitals didn't want anything to do with it. So he had a very hard time getting rid of these devices. And needless to say, his rough times led to more rough times when his wife ups and leaves him. And this isn't in the movie this way, uh, but this is how it is in his biography, that his wife ups and leaves with his son, and they leave. And he's stuck with all of this medical equipment, trying to get out of debt, uh, trying to dig himself out of a hole. Eventually, uh, through more difficult circumstances, he gets his son back, which only makes it more difficult for him to survive. So um, he ends up running into a few uh, people at a, at a uh, brokerage firm at Dean Witter, and he ends up getting an internship, and he thought this internship would pay money. It ends up it does not pay money, so he does a free internship, which, which is a nine-to-five job, uh, and he even adds on top of that trying to be the intern that makes it into the business. And it really comes to a head in the movie when you have Will Smith being kicked out of his apartment, uh, play, you know, being Chris Gardner, Kicked out of his apartment with his son, with his medical equipment in his hand. He's got his clothes in his other hand. His son is carrying his backpack and all of his belongings. And they're trying to figure out what they're going to do. And they end up in the subway. And they end up in the subway and uh, making the best of a bad situation. He pretends that they're hiding from dinosaurs. They hide in the men's restroom. And that's where they spend the night. And I don't want to spoil the entire movie for you, but um, I can imagine that if you're having to spend the night in a men's restroom of a subway, you've probably reached the low of lows. And that's exactly what the nation of Israel must have felt uh, in the time when Samuel is going to step onto the scene. Uh, things are really bad. Uh, Judges chapter 2, you don't have to turn there. You can read it on the screen, but it says, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. They abandoned the Lord and the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and they bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers, who plundered them. 
He sold them into the hands of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned. And as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. Uh, If you read, uh, Landon taught a few weeks back on Ruth. And Ruth chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. It was a very dark time. It was not a time when you had a lot of hope, where you had a lot to look forward to. And even though it seemed like God was not with his people, God had a plan. And this brings us smack dab to Samuel. Uh, This brings us to uh, where we're going to dive into Samuel. Uh, And I'm going to read a little bit of what David Jeremiah had to say about the book of 1 Samuel, which is where we'll be today. It says, Thomas Carlyle famously said, The history of the world is but a biography of great men. Many people dislike history, considering it's nothing but cold facts, impersonal dates, and lists of events. But the lives of those who shaped history give us some of the richest stories in the world. God used the biographical method and gives us the history of the Old Testament history. And 1 Samuel is a prime First Samuel is a prime example. It tells Israel's story through the lives of three leaders, Samuel, Saul, and David. Each life is a lesson for the rest of us, and the themes of First Samuel are for Christians in every station of life. The first part of the book is devoted to the story of Samuel, a boy who said, who said Speak for your servant hears. And the man who became the last of the judges of Israel And as we read this book, it's helpful to remember that we are all biographers. Each of us is writing the record of our own life, and one day soon the story will be complete. Popularity and image will fade away, but those after God's own heart will leave a legacy of leadership that will endure until the Lord returns. So, uh, let's look on the timeline of where we're at when Samuel steps onto the scene. As we just heard, he's going to be one of the last... You know, really the last judge of Israel. And uh, as we're going to see in a little bit, that Samuel is going to be a priest with the role of anointing both Saul and David as king. So he will be a part of, of early on in the monarchy. So Samuel will be in that. So let's jump right into the life story. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. Because this first stage, we're going to look at um, Samuel as the Levite. The Levite. First Samuel chapter 1, starting in verse 1. There was a certain man from Ramathane Zophim, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Joraham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, the Ephrahite. Uh, First Chronicles chapter 6 will give you a genealogy layout of um, Samuel's heritage, of where he came from. He was a Levite. He was in the division of the Kohathites. Moses and Aaron were both uh, from this tribe. Numbers chapter 3 says the Kohathites were those who were responsible for carrying the ark uh, as the the nation was wandering in in, in the desert Uh, They were responsible for tearing it down, for putting it back up, for um, moving it when they were moving it. And 
So, and if you keep reading uh, throughout uh, this, the line, when they get into the promised land through Joshua, uh, the land gets divided amongst the, the 11 tribes with the Levites getting to uh, be put in certain cities because they don't get a land. And they lose their job. They don't have the job of tearing down the tabernacle and putting back up the tabernacle because it is stationary. It's in one place. So they don't have a job anymore. And, they, and as uh, Landon said a few weeks back, they would take on the task of worship leaders. And so this is Samuel's family. This is where Samuel comes from. He's from the hill country of Ephraim. You see the map behind me. Um, this is where Samuel's parents were located, the yellow star. Um, and Samuel's mother being Hannah. If you recall, when Landon taught about Hannah a few weeks back, she was the only woman in the Old Testament mentioned going up to the Lord's house, being the only woman mentioned uh, making and keeping a vow to the Lord. So this would have been Samuel's mother. And the vow she made and kept with the Lord would grant her this son, Samuel, this a miracle son. And in return for her having this son, she promised the Lord that she would give Samuel back in service to the Lord. Samuel in his name actually meaning asked of God. So that brings us to verse 24. Check out verse chapter 1, verse 24. And when she, Hannah, had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. You can see that also marked by the red, the red star. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And he said, "Oh!" And she said, "Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord for this child. I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to Him." Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. So Samuel, here as a very young boy, is handed over to the service of Eli. And he's here. He's with the Ark of the Covenant. And verse 11 is an interesting verse. A lot of scholars believe that Samuel could have been like Samson, a Nazarite, and that he was vowed to not cut his hair. Uh, but the Bible does not specifically say that, so we'll just assume that some scholars may be correct and some scholars may not be correct. So could have been that um, many of them thought that Samuel also, being a Levite, was also a Nazarite and would have partaken in the Nazarite vow in that. So uh, let's look at the second part of Samuel's life, and we're going to call that his call. 1 Samuel chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord, the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here am I. And he ran to Eli and said, Here, I, 
here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. Have you ever had your five-year-old child come in in the middle of the night? What did you need? And you're like, go to bed. You can imagine Eli is probably having this type of a moment with Samuel here. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again a third time. And he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went, and he lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel in which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me at all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him, and he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet to the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So a very interesting way to be called into service of the Lord. Samuel was dedicated uh, to serving and obeying Eli. And it must have been a very difficult situation. This is probably the only father that Samuel probably knew. And for his first word from the Lord to be, I need you to tell Eli and that he and his sons are going down. And that must have been very difficult for Samuel to hear that. But Samuel grew in the Lord. And he, the Lord was with him. And he let none of his words fall to the ground. And I want you to take this story and I want you to hide it into the back of your minds. Because we're going to bring it back up here in a minute. We're going to talk about it again. So take that story. Everybody got it? Alright, store it away. Um, verse 20. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. That brings us to our second point. The prophet. Samuel as the prophet. Samuel will be the one that will come to the people and will give them warnings. 
that if they continue to do what they know is wrong, what they uh, worshiping idols, if they do not turn from worshiping the idols and turn to worshiping the Lord, he laid out some things that were going to happen. And those things would come to, come to happen. So First uh, Samuel chapter 7. And we're going to be hanging out in First Samuel chapter, chapter 7 a lot. So if you want to keep your finger there if we turn away from it. 1 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to be starting in verse 3. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all of your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth and they served the Lord only. So, just like we had talked about, he's letting them know, uh, here's what you need to do, here's what you don't need to do, and if you choose to do this, this is how, what the Lord will do. And if you choose to disobey, if you choose to do this, this is what's going to happen. And all of those things came true. Um, just like it said earlier, the Lord let none of his words fall to the ground. Let's keep reading, verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone. And set it up between Mitzpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not enter the, ter- the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. We just sang this a minute ago. Landon mentioned that we were going to bring that song back up. Come thou fount. And forever as I sang that song I had no clue what it was talking about. Well this is what it's talking about. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Here, there, by thy great help, I've come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. That's what that song is talking about. It's talking about here when Samuel tells the people, if you turn to the Lord and worship the Lord only and turn away from all these false idols, he will give you victory over the Philistines. And guess what happens? They have victory over the Philistines. And it says there that they completely pushed them out of the area, and the Philistines didn't mess with them uh, until. We'll get to the until here in a minute. But, uh, flip over to Jeremiah. Keep your finger there, but turn over to Jeremiah chapter 15. I don't want you to miss what Jeremiah says regarding something that God said to him, the Lord said to him, as the nation was about to head into exile. Um, we see that... Um, They're about to be taken over by the Babylonians. And Jeremiah is going to say something here um, that will point to Samuel as the prophet. Chapter 15, verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, So what he's saying there is, even if Moses and Samuel, these two great prophets, were to stand before me, it says, yet my heart would not turn towards this people. Send them out of my sight and let them go. You know, this is after many years of doing what was right in their own eyes. Chasing after idols. Chasing after other gods. Worshiping other gods. And the Lord had enough. And I love how the Lord says, you know, even if Moses and Samuel were to stand here, I would still send you away. That's pretty brutal. 
even if they were here to plead your, on your behalf, you're out of here. So we see the first real role that Samuel would play is that of a prophet. Secondly, we see the role of a priest. Samuel filled the role as a priest, um, taking on the duties that a priest would have done. And chapter 7, right there in verse 5, then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mitzpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So there we see that he's taking on the role of a priest. He's praying on behalf of the nation to the Lord. Verses 9 and 10. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel. And the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that that, that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. And they were defeated before Israel. You know, this was right before they build the altar uh, at the end of this encounter with the Philistines. So we see here that he's taking on the roles of the priest. He's praying for the nations, for the nation. He's offering up sacrifices, um, burnt offerings before the Lord. And we will also see that he fulfills this role as anointing the kings. God will use him in 1 Samuel chapter 10 and also 1 Samuel chapter 16 as one he anoints Saul as the king over Israel, the first king over Israel. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, he will anoint David as the king over Israel. And we even see a point, uh, and, and you can read this on your own, in 1 Samuel chapter 13 when Saul is waiting uh, for a battle. And he gets impatient. Samuel is supposed to come and to offer this sacrifice to give them wisdom, to give them victory in battle. And Saul gets impatient. So he says, just bring the sacrifice to me and I will make the sacrifice in Samuel's stead. And of course, like it does in every, um, every time, as soon as he makes the sacrifice, Samuel shows up. Right? What are you doing? And that's the beginning of the end, really, uh, that Saul will, the kingdom will be taken, uh, taken away from Saul and given into the hands of David. And we'll see that because of him stepping in and trying to fulfill the role as, as priest, that was Samuel's role, um, misfortune would come his way. Thirdly, let's look at his role as judge. First prophet, second priest, and then as judge. Samuel would be one of the last judges of Israel. He would soon hand those judging um, duties over to the king because that would be the role of the king. Um, there in chapter 7, verse 6, Samuel would gather the congregation at Mitzvah and they fasted and it says here that Samuel was judging Israel. So, he was there as the intercessor to tell them what they were doing wrong, tell them how they were supposed to obey the Lord, what they needed to be doing. And so he was a judge. So let's pick up in verse 15. Chapter 7, verse 15. It says, Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mitzpah. And he judged Israel in all those places. Then he would return to Ramah, for, for his home was there. 
And there also he judged Israel. And he built there an altar to the Lord. I also don't want us to forget that even when Saul is the king, uh, the Lord would use Samuel to still judge Saul. He would still use him as a judge over Saul and speak to Saul on the Lord's behalf. And we will see that happen several times. Uh, Let's look at the next part and we'll call that death. This is very brief. This is very quick. Uh, Chapter 25. 1 Samuel 25 verse 1. It says, Now Samuel died. And all Israel assembled and mourned for him. And they buried him in in his house at Ramah. Um, He was around 52 years old at the time of his death. Uh, But more uh, exciting than his death, let's look at the last part here. And we're going to call that the return. The return. By show of hands, how many of you did not know that Samuel came back from the dead? Anybody? Everybody knew that? I was the only one. Okay, here we go. Just kidding. 1 Samuel chapter 28. Towards the end of his life, King Saul is going to uh, fall into witchcraft. And he sends for the witch of Endor. He's worried about an upcoming battle with the Philistines. And um, he wanted some advice on what he should do, uh, how he should go about uh, fighting the Philistines. So he summons this witch and he he actually hides his identity He summons this witch and he asks her to bring back Samuel. Starting in verse 11, 28, 11. It says, then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? He said, bring up Samuel for me. Then the woman saw Samuel. She cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. And the king said to her, do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he's wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me from bringing me up? By bringing me up. And Saul answered, I am in, I'm in great distress for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? And the Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hands of the Philistines. And tomorrow, you and your son shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell at once, full length on the ground, filled with fear, with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. And I'm guessing that Samuel immediately went back to being dead because he told him, 
tomorrow you're going to be with me. Tomorrow when you die in battle, you'll be where I'm at. So um, he goes back to being dead. So let's look at some negatives and positives from the life of Samuel. First of all, Samuel appointed his sons as judges over Israel, which ultimately led the nation to desire having a king. Led the nation to desire to have a king. Flip over to 1 Samuel chapter 8. We'll start reading in verse 1. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. And they were judges in Beersheba, yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. So Samuel makes his sons judges. There had, never, there had not been hereditary judges before, so this was something new. Uh, something new, and rather than the nation requesting to have his sons removed as judges, they went even further and they said, we want a king. Because all of these nations around us, it seems to be working for them very well. And they like having kings, so we want to have a king. Uh, if you I put um, Judges chapter 8 in your notes, and you can go back and read where Gideon thinks it's a bad idea to have hereditary judges. Gideon uh, will make a comment that he says, Not me and not my sons, but the Lord should rule over you. Uh, now, I want you to take that memory we had from when we started about Eli and his sons. Eli had made his sons priest, and they had perverted justice. And they were doing things that they should not have been doing as priests. And therefore, the Lord's anger burned against not only Eli's sons, but against Eli. And we see here that that should have been on the forefront of Samuel's mind. But it was not. Or maybe it was. But he still made his sons Judges, and they perverted that system, which ultimately led to the nation wanting a king. One, one of the reasons why they wanted a king was because Samuel's sons were so corrupt, and they saw that um, they wanted to be like everyone else, a, a king to rule over them. And God will tell Samuel something very specific, and in that he says, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, Samuel, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Gideon says, I shouldn't be judge over you. My son shouldn't be judge over you. The Lord should be judge over you, should be king over you. And that is what uh, Samuel uh, is trying to get the point across to them. And he says, you know what, do what they want. Do exactly as they say because they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. They're rejecting me as the king over them. So Samuel appoints his sons and that will eventually lead them to desiring a king. Uh, let's look at the second part. It's positive. Obedience to God's word was always Samuel's top priority as he sought to honor God with his life. Obedience to God's word. 
1 Samuel chapter 15. Flip over to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Verse 22 and 23. He says, "Has Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. He's telling him, you know what? If you will listen and obey, it's a whole lot better than sacrifice to the Lord. You know, that old, I don't know if it's a hymn or not, but I remember singing it growing up in church. The old song, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And I think you could just change the word, listen and obey, listen and obey, for there's no better way to be happy in Jesus than to listen and obey. And that's Samuel's point here. He's quoting this to Saul regarding his disobedience and how God is turning his back on Saul. And you may remember Landon uh, talking about this a few weeks back regarding uh, the book of Esther and how Haman was descendant from Agog, the king of the Amalekites, who Saul was supposed to destroy completely. That's what is getting Saul in all this trouble to begin with. He disobeyed the Lord. He said, wipe all of these people out. Saul takes some of them in, including the king, Agog. And he says, I'm not going to put them to destruction. I'm going to keep them. I'm going to let him live. And of course, uh, we will see where um, in verse 33, uh, it evidently makes Samuel upset enough to where he takes a sword and he chops the king up, right? King Agog, the king of the Amalekites, and he chops him up into pieces. And that will eventually lead to his descendants uh, trying to wipe out um, Esther and that whole story. So I hope you don't get this picture of this uh, sissy priest, because that wasn't Samuel. He obeyed the Lord fully. Um, Flip over to 2 Chronicles 35. 2 Chronicles 35. I'll show you how this is just another example of Samuel's obedience to the Lord. This is Josiah keeping the Passover, remembering how things were when they did them in obedience, and Josiah trying to get the nation to turn back to the Lord and keeping the Passover to the Lord. Second uh, Chronicles thirty-five eighteen says this, no Passover like it had been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. None of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as was kept by Josiah and the priests and the Levites and all Judah and Israel who were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So that's pretty uh, special to be named out of all of the kings. Uh, the king, King David, a man after God's own heart, Solomon, the wisest king to ever live. And it says here, Josiah is taking a Passover and it says, no Passover has been kept this well since the days of Samuel. So from the time when he was a small boy, uh, telling the priest, telling Eli that his sons were in trouble, that he and his sons were in trouble, Samuel sought to honor the Lord through his obedience. And it was shown in the days where he ruled and Even in the generations that followed, the stories of Samuel and his obedience to the Lord um, were told of. So how does this point us 
to Jesus. How does this point us to Jesus? First, Samuel acts as prophet, priest, and faithful judge, pointing to the work of Christ as prophet, priest, and king. We read a lot of these verses in chapter 3 and chapter 7 uh, of Samuel fulfilling the role of prophet, priest, and judge and how he did those faithfully before the Lord. But I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 1 and how Samuel, acting as prophet, priest, and judge, is pointing us to Jesus as the prophet, the priest, and the king. So Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through him also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So, Samuel is this picture of how we are to look at Jesus as the prophet, the priest, and ultimately as our king. When Samuel spoke back in his day, the people listened because God spoke directly to Samuel. And when Samuel spoke, they knew that will happen. He had uh, people believed in what he said. And that's why it very specifically says that he did not let his words fall to the ground. Because the Lord was with him. Because he obeyed the Lord. And ultimately, he is a picture of uh, Christ coming as our ultimate um, prophet, priest, and king. So... People listen because he heard from the Lord. And of course, Jesus being the Son of God, uh, and, and Jesus will even tell his followers, uh, just show us God. Just show us God and we'll believe. He goes, if you've seen me, you've seen God. I am a picture of the Father. So you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And that's who our prophet, priest, and king ultimately is. Secondly, God indicates his sovereignty Sovereignty over the appointment of kings. Samuel anointing both Saul and David, little M Messiah, points us to Jesus being anointed as the Messiah through John the Baptist. So we have um, in 1 Samuel 10 and in 1 Samuel 16, um, Samuel taking on the role where he anoints uh, both Saul and David as king. And this is a picture of, uh, points forward to how John the Baptist being uh, the voice uh, in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord. And as he uh, baptizing Jesus and that whole process to begin his ministry, it points to that event. So let's look in Acts chapter 3. Peter in his second sermon and what he will say about Jesus' anointing as the Messiah. Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 17. says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. 
But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that that this Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. That time of refreshing may come in the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. And you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and the covenant of God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham and in your offspring, Shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So, as Peter is pointing out, Moses has talked about this. Samuel has talked about this. Uh, That person that Moses talked about, all of the earth shall be blessed through your line. It all is pointing us to Jesus. And that is, and it even mentioned Samuel there. He proclaimed that these days were coming. And how Samuel is pointing us to Jesus as uh, the Messiah. The Messiah, not the little M Messiah, but the big M Messiah. So, a little bit about Samuel. You know, Marvel's Infinity War. If you, how many of you have gone to see Infinity War? Like all five of us. woo All right. So uh, it's been making a lot of headlines lately because it, it is now in its opening weekend made more money than any movie in all of history. It made more money than in its opening weekend than any other movie had ever made. And it blew it up, right? It, it, it made a lot of money. And I know that is in large part because we love heroes. And we think about... Well, here's a movie, Infinity War, with not just Captain America, not just Iron Man, but there's a whole host of superheroes in this movie. Of course, there's one villain, or there's many of them, but one big villain. We love to cheer for our hero. We love to hiss when the villain shows up. You know, you even see old plays where when the bad guy comes in, everyone's supposed to hiss. And when the good guy comes in, everybody cheers. And we love the hero. Um, We love to cheer for the good guy. We love to not like the bad guy. And these Old Testament heroes that we've been looking at, some of them are really, really easy for us to like. Uh, Some of them are not so easy for us to like. But they all have one thing in common. They all sin. Right? And I started tonight with a quote that said, The history of the world is but a biography of great men. And these Old Testament heroes of ours, they all have flaws. They're sin covered. They've made mistakes. Some really big mistakes. Some really noticeable mistakes. Some a little harder to find. But there's only one, been one true hero. And that hero was uh, Jesus, the Son of God. The perfect prophet, priest, and king that the Old Testament that Samuel was pointing us to. Uh, 